Hey, this is Derek Harp, the founder, chairman of CSA, and the host of the CSA Podcast Show. I've got another great episode for you today, uh, another one in our series of interviewing security leaders around the world and ta- ta- asking about their journey, their professional uh, journey, and, and how they ended up where they are today. And I've got a great uh, guest today, Susan Peterson Sturm. She is currently the Chief Information Security Officer at Cognite. She has uh, had a really interesting journey, which we'll break down. She's been in a number of companies in really uh, very interesting roles and companies that you'll all recognize. Um, and uh, so we'll, be, we'll sort of unpack that. So welcome to the show, Susan. Thanks for having me. Okay. So Susan, I always like to start the show with the uh, the, the uh, sort of the same joke that's, you know, that, uh, and it's not a joke. I think in some truth, there's some truth to that security people are modern day superheroes and all superheroes have a backstory. Where did you come from? So I grew up outside of Washington, D.C., back when everyone wanted to go work at AOL. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, the, 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 the time period of many, 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 many CDs being mailed to many, many houses. <laughs> you know, what was any, any sort of early interest? I'm always curious when technology, uh, you know, shows up in someone's you know, journey. Um, was that early for you or later? Uh, was it early? It's embarrassing to admit, but my family got a TI-99. Uh, and uh, that is like my first exposure to programming. I haven't done a whole lot of programming, but, you know, it's kind of a really eye opening, uh, you know, experience for me. Yeah, that's, you know, mine was a Commodore 64 and uh, my brother really got into the programming and I got into playing the games and, you know, but uh, we, we both used uh, used the machine. Yeah, let's just talk about what, uh, you know, as you decided what you're going to go do after after high school, let's say. Um, what what were your choices? What you know? What did you consider doing, and what did you end up doing? Yeah, so um, I was. I guess the, the other experience I want to share around this is the first yeah. factory I ever went to was a sugar refinery in Fiji, and uh, my dad is a, a really engineer-y kind of engineer. And on vacation, he was like, "Oh, let's see if we can go visit this refinery." And looking at all the automation and all the process there was really interesting to me. Um, but I, I started out. Um, being very interested in economic development and, you know, did like internships in Latin America and stuff and really wanted to find a way to like improve equity uh, for rural and indigenous community. Um, and that's and, still, we're going to get to it, but that's still an important part and something you put time into now. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, in, but I, I think like, if you think about it really, that the skills kind of in change management and, um, you know, some of those, <laughs> some of those disciplines that I learned from international affairs, my international affairs degree are, are really, really helpful in, in this function, which is not super intuitive, but I lean into those a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's, and so when you were talking about visiting, you know, or uh, you said sugar um, operation? Sugar refinery, mm-hmm. How old are you talking about, uh, are you oh, then? I was probably like 12 um, okay. and just looking at like the massive drums and the heat, you know, heat ah. exchangers and just being like. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, I, I always ask too, he's like, when did technology intersect with their life? Uh, normally if I, you know, say when did some sort of industrial setting intersect with your life, it's later, it's not 12 years old. So there you go. <laughs> You're seeing it in real time or early, uh, early on. So what did you do? What were some of the, some of the first jobs then? Uh, or what did, what did you study? Uh, so I studied international affairs kind of with an okay. economics focus. Yeah. And uh, early on, I did kind of more analyst roles, but moved into energy really quickly. I had studied in Chile where they were privatizing the whole network there and the, the power sector. So 
it, it kind of made me think about, and I was working with an indigenous community and made me think about how important electricity is for economic development, access to industry and markets. So, you know, I pivoted pretty hard into energy once I graduated from college. I can see where all this is headed. You know, where do OT cyber people come from? And you're sort of covering like, well, early on, each of the ingredients that could go into someone doing OT cyber, uh, each of the ingredients were, it, were there pretty early. Uh, and multinational, and you're certainly today looking at a, your your concern is is global. Yeah, what's the what is your global uh, sort of footprint for for Cognite? Uh, we have offices um, in Japan as well as the U.S., and then we have a a really uh, awesome partnership with Saudi Aramco through our subsidiary Context, which has just opened up that will help us support um, the Middle East region. So we're really thrilled about that. Awesome. Okay. Um, so then what's what's next? Uh, I think, you know, I was looking at your your career and there's just a number of major, you know, sort of industrial names come out and Siemens and GE and all these ABB. Was ABB in there somewhere? Yeah, ABB, not Siemens, but uh, have lots of oh. friends from Siemens. So. <laughs> oh, I guess I was going off of one that was a, a, a Siemens business. It was uh, okay. the Pace Global. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was yeah. acquiring tools. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what what was uh, yeah what were some of those first roles what what, did you, what were you doing at uh, at Pace Global Yeah so I started out doing uh, basically econometric analysis around power price forecasting uh, so this was pre Enron when that kind of independent power business was really blowing up so um, and those those economic skills were very helpful later on as a CISO to be able to put together a business case on getting investment. <laughs> um, so early on there and then moved directly into the independent power sector where I worked for a company that was owned by Con Ed and we were, uh, we were basically bidding on assets that were being privatized and then uh, came over to uh, Calpine, which is still a, a really great independent power company um, and worked in their plan optimization group between trading and maintenance and we it was an amazing experience because at that time that sector had a lot of money <laughs> before enron crashed and so they had a, an enterprise-wide pie historian and they invested a ton in data governance and had a lot of their own in-house developers so the value of having one data set that people believed around real-time data and seeing how that impacted like agency conflicts between traders and operators it was really great early career experience working with some fantastic folks. Yeah, we will we, have to have some discussions beyond this podcast because your your background and the comment you just made, I mean, one of my passion areas is around leadership development for, for leaders in the space. And there's a bunch who their background was maybe pure technical and they could even be brilliant technically. And what I'm finding when they confide with me or if I read something that they're when they're being honest, there's some there's some skill sets that are weaker. Uh, at the levels that people are now, you know, obtaining. And, and you talked about having a business case and getting investment and, you know, people are reporting to boards or to the senior executive team. And it's just all this other stuff that's not anything having to do with technology or security per se, but other skills. And um, your background, I mean, I, I was thinking about just all this this stuff, power purchasing and and uh, all the agreements and all the, the you know, the, the economics behind it. That does make for an interesting mix for where you are now. Yeah, it, it's it's super, super, super helpful. And I know it's tough because we're all working really hard at our day jobs. But, I, you know, one thing I would say is if you have a chance to spend time in the field, if you have a chance to spend time to understand your user's journey, um, you will never regret that investment. 
yeah, I, I think that's a good advice. And I suppose if someone's earlier in the career, I mean, you tell me, if they're saying, how does someone end up in a senior, let's say, you know, a senior leadership position in cybersecurity, whether it's the CISO title or, or, or something like that uh, at that level, the, the path can be varied. It doesn't have to be like, well, it must be somebody who's, you know, only deeply technical uh, and, and then it ends up there. You could be um, could from a variety of backgrounds and and do there. And so in the field experience, no matter what what you know path you're on, that that component somewhere early to middle, you know, career is going to be super valuable if you know if you want that diverse look at the you know when you're at the top. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's really great to spend time with your users. And and the other thing that I would say is most of the really, really brilliant security folks don't want to do what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, they they yeah. want to they want to stay really engaged in the technology. Yeah. You know, it it takes it takes everybody to move this forward. But it's you know, and I think that's an important question to ask is do you want to stay technical? You can be a leader, yeah. you can be a technical leader, but um, you know, knowing that we've got different paths in this industry, right? Yeah. And that's that is a very, very good point. We we I'm I use the term leader uh, pretty broadly and don't mean to define it by any particular notion of that kind of leader, this yeah. kind of leader. There are certainly uh, so many different, and, and people do need, where do I wanna be? Uh, and not, you know, satis satisfaction is probably gonna be high if you don't end up taking a job uh, because of title or pay, but you don't really like it or, or don't necessarily have a good skill matchup. Uh, that That's not necessarily probably a recipe for success where, versus being passionate, excited, enjoying what you do. And yeah, if you wanna stay close to the technology, then some paths might be further and further away from that, right? Yeah. And, and I think it's cool that companies are recognizing that and allowing people to have, you know, progress in very technical careers. And I, I really like that about Cognite, uh, knowing that people are motivated for different reasons and, you know, focusing on people's growth. So uh, Pace Global, uh, Calpine, is it Calpine? Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, Platte River uh, Power Authority, uh, then GE. Uh, and not for the last time, I think, if I got that right. That you, I, had a quick, I had a quick stint at New Belgium Brewing Company. Uh, my husband was a brewer there for 15 years, and I was just, like, so jealous of, like, that amazing culture. They've got a really cool, like, swirly slide in the factory. Like, I love being in factories. Um, I got pulled back to GE, um, you know, so it wasn't super long, but that was, yeah, my little, my little stint away. <laughs> That, that's cool, you know. Uh, you, you've got a, you know, a, that was a milestone in the journey that was different and, and unique. Yeah. I bet. yeah, and good perks. I hope you know, being uh, working in a brewery. Yeah, I was pregnant at the time, but you know, free beer. Oh, was <laughs> everything. Okay, so uh, let's see. GE Senior Product Line Manager, Lifecycle Services, Control Solutions. Then GE Senior Software Business Architect. Then GE Director of Market Development for GE Digital. And then oil and gas executive product security leader at GE. I mean, this is great. And that's in, in Italy. So you did you also you moved during your? I had a short stint in Florence. A lot of my team was there, and it's just a fantastic team. And in Italy, I would say there's just really great security talent as well. So let's talk about this. Uh, you know, what how how would you say? Even though that's let's say like use your short stint, would you say that the, does that pay dividends today that you did a a tour, let's say, in another country uh, before you came back to to the United States. Yeah, I think, um, and I've worked abroad a couple of times. So I think one thing that I would say is like if you're working in a multinational it, it, or you have a bulk of your team in another place, it's really great if you can spend some face time with them. And I know <laughs> during COVID that was hard, but really, you know, kind of understanding their structures. 
um, especially in kind of the security space. So what are the challenges for them to do DevSecOps or, you know, what what are the specifics that they're facing so you know how to support your teams or interact better with them? Yeah. So, you know, it can feel like, oh, there's so much travel, but I think spending that time up front when you have distributed teams is really valuable. Also understanding the cultural component, yeah. um, which is bigger bigger than, than you know, and it could be just even like, you know, regulatory environment around employment law or like whatever, but there's a lot there that you can pick up. Um, and that's a know. spectrum of difference, right? Some countries, the difference is there's, there's always some difference and then others, it could be quite large culturally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yep. Yeah. I think, I think if people get a chance, uh, you know, getting, getting, uh, you know, especially early on and maybe maybe when people are more flexible in their in the part of life they're in and they have an opportunity to go do something somewhere in another country, uh, you know, do it. Now, if one can, I, I, I'm always a big fan of that and have enjoyed the perspective I've gained from anything international uh, that I got to do. I didn't get to live. I, I was in, the, you know, in the service and I got to travel lots of places. But I never got to do like the three years immersion, you know, expat living somewhere. I always, always wanted to. Then off to Honeywell, Director of Cyber Product Marketing and Strategy. So you got GE covered. So now, now uh, let's go to let's go to Honeywell. I mean, you talk about this the 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 large recognizable OEMs. You you, you yeah, bet. I I spent my time there. Yeah. Uh, so Honeywell was they were kind of in their nascency, looking at kind of maturing more around the OT security space. So got to work with some fantastic folks there um and they what was interesting about honeywell is they had a gm dedicated to that ot security business which was pretty at that time progressive um it, it you know relative to the other oems at that time they were kind of treating it as a product line as opposed to a standalone pnl um so that was part of what attracted me to honeywell was that that real focus on you know kind of growing that business and, and staying engaged there yeah, I meant to ask you, it was somewhere in GE that security intersects with what you were doing, right? Yeah, I had a product, um, so I had a product security, or sorry, a cybersecurity product role, and so that was my second product management role at, at GE, and it was really focused at the time, this was around 2010, it was really focused on kind of the patching solutions, but from there, um, my team introduced a number of like the appliances and, you know, started developing some of those partnerships um, with with those players, which was very helpful. And, um, you know, from there kind of got pulled into leading, eventually supporting on the acquisition of WorldTech. And then from there got pulled into the product security leader for G oil and gas. Um, and a lot of it, I think what's interesting is. I started on cyber product, but it made me realize, oh, we have a lot more to do on core product. And so sometimes that distinction between security product and product security <laughs> is important. And I think that's that's one thing I would say is knowing a lot of times security folks are gonna be asked to provide input on requirements, security uh, requirements for the products that their companies are developing. and understanding how to present those in the context of, you know, regulatory competitors, nascent trends and getting comfortable with that is very important because if you hit that from a purely technical point of view, which is important, but sometimes it's hard to get the investment in features that you need um, and you're going to get locked out of the market if you don't address those, even if it's not a security product that you're selling. Great advice. 
Yeah, it's it's a chess game, right? Any any singular focus on one element leaves leaves out some things, and it's arranging them sort of in the right order is always how I've sort of envisioned it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so Honeywell, and you say, you know what? I've been G. I've been at a you know what it was a Siemens related business, you know, um, and now Honeywell. Maybe I had to check out ABB. I love this. I mean, you you just you keep know. getting pulled though, you know. So you're like. And I guess I have FOMO in a bad way, so I was just. <laughs> but what a perspective, though. I mean, when I really got down to looking where you'd been, uh, I don't know how many people um, have collected this this sort of perspective from from these sorts of companies. This is interesting. Well, some great people to work with for sure. And so at ABB, I had I led a PNL that was responsible for digital. So in that, security was an anchor product. Um, and I was, you know, the other thing about networking, this is a small community. So there is one of my teammates, I'll do a shout out to Dee Kamada, <laughs> who's at Schneider now, but she was auditing my team at GE, you know, and no one likes to get audited, right? And so I was like, get the auditor off the phone. And, you know, at GE, she was like, hey, I have an idea about your product. And I was like, okay, I ended up hiring her at GE. But when I moved on to ABB and I needed a dedicated product manager for cyber, you know, I pulled her, pulled her in, you know, yeah. I mean, an application process, you know, in a rigorous way and stuff, but those, you know, investing in those networks and I've, I've benefited from that relationship with her and she's doing great, but that those networks and making the time to invest in those is really, really valuable. in this. Space. Let's talk about that. I think all these sessions always drop a couple of gold nuggets right out and that's a huge area right there. Can you maybe share a little bit more how you've gone about that in your career? Yeah, so I think one is being comfortable being being vulnerable, right? I don't have, you know, you know, I've programmed in, you know, if you can call that in VBA and Excel, like that's <laughs> my most recent exposure to that. So I really need to depend on others, you know, to help inform a point of view, um, you know, if we're making technical decisions or product decisions. So I think it's okay. It's it's hard to feel like I don't know. How, I don't have to know everything, but being vulnerable to say. Hey, I don't, I don't really understand this. Can you help me understand big picture? Um, I think when you show that kind of vulnerability, you can really develop some fantastic relationships based on openness. And, you know, I also think it's like picking up the phone. So if somebody is looking for a new job or, you know, is, is trying to answer a question, making yourself available to maintain those relationships is really, really important, but it, it pays dividends <laughs> and you bring people with you. Right. Um, Have you to be deliberate about that? As busy as the kind of roles you've been in, and some of our listeners are, you know, are in equally demanding roles. You, you, you know, is that? How, did you have to be deliberate? I'm going to make some time for it. Yeah, I, I do. I do prioritize it. I would also say that one of the things that's, you know, most, you know, like energizing for me is like doing mentoring, coaching, and, um, you know, like I derive a lot of satisfaction in seeing people that have been on my teams or that have reached out, like seeing them grow, supporting them. Like, I think ultimately, you know, it's nice to run $150 million PL, but like, that's, that's probably, you know, on my deathbed, what I'll feel proud of from work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, boy, oh boy. I think that's another one right there. Right. Yeah. The, the things we can focus on. I, I think about things that were important to me 20 years ago and 10 years ago. I'm like, wow, that same thing isn't, isn't number one or two or even three now, you know, how's that possible? You're right. I guess that's, getting older and going through life and saying, what, what matters? Uh, but uh, and that, and that's a great segue to uh, mentorship, which I always like to ask about. It's something I'm passionate about, something CSA is working on a mentorship program. 
um, I think we could do a lot with it beyond just the trite sort of like, you know, I'm entry level and I'd love to talk to someone senior. Um, how'd you get there? Um, but real, like maybe specific mentorship, people want, need something at a certain stage and maybe they can't get that at their current company, but putting aside, you know, all the ways mentorship might work, what, how's that theme being a mentor or a mentee played out in your path? So I think, I, I also think this could be potentially even more important in diverse communities, right? Um, you know, and having kind of some structure around that. So if you look at, you know, some of the studies, for example, they've shown that one of the challenges in like around poverty alleviation is having networks out of impoverished communities. And a corollary to that would be like, how deep is your network? You know, how deep is your network from where you came from in, in these areas, right? And thinking about that as a critical part of opportunity. So the companies that have done a really, really good job on diversity, equity, inclusion that I've worked at have been ones that have really focused on developing those networks. When people come to me and they say like, hey, you know, I, I want to mentor, I want to work on, I, I, I want to mentor. And I'll say, okay, what do you want to work on? You know, and sometimes people get intimidated a little bit like, you know, it's like you're asking them, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it, that's, you know, so I would encourage you to think about if you're seeking that out, where's the area? What's the skill set you want to drive out of it? Where do you want to gain more confidence? And even structuring it in that big of an area, right? Um, and, you know, having a, a kind of a check mark. So, you know, to like how you're investing your time, right? So what does success look like? So if you're seeking a mentor, being able to go to someone and say, Hey, you know, I really want to expand, you know, my skill set in, you know, incident response and disaster recovery. You know, I'd love to know what you're doing at your blah, blah, blah. But you you go in with kind of a specific ask and you think about your career development in the context of like, what are the core skill sets that I want uh, that I think I need for my next step in the journey? Right. Yeah, that sounded to me, you know, I, I all kinds of words flashed in my mind, you know, laser focus, not shotgun, you know, um, uh, mentorship with a small m not a, you know like a big m that's maybe imposing like we're going to be we're going to have a mentorship between the two of us it could be about specific things and you could even reach out a person could reach out and say I, i'm working on this you know can you help me that helps the mentor too doesn't it yeah absolutely and it, it also helps me where i can think like okay who else in my network does that right yeah. and it's easier for me to make a specific ask about sure. those interactions if there is an area where you're trying to build yep have you also been a beneficiary of mentorship well, oh, heck yeah. Um, and uh, just so, so many people um, have been so generous with their their time. So folks like Damiano Bozzone, you know, uh, early in my career, you know, even though he was working on his own OT security company that, you know, he's had a successful departure on or folks like Rich Shearson, you know, who wrote How to Measure Anything in Cybersecurity. These are still people on my speed dial. I also think about them when like, like, oh, we need an advisory board member or whatever. Like they're, you know, hopefully they'll see some benefit as I grow in my career too. But people have been, and that's what I love about this community. Even if we're at competing or competing companies, right? We're, we all are on a mission to secure critical infrastructure. So people are really open. And in general, I would say pretty low ego, <laughs> right? Because we all have the same mission. It's so that's that's a wonderful part of this community. I know it can be a little intimidating to ask, but I, I feel like most people really care about that mission and care about the development of their peers because of that. I think you're right. And I think I think almost every guest has said something similar to that when we, when we talk about this. Um, people are open. And so people need to ask, right? They need to just maybe overcome 
their disbelief that someone will help them or or discomfort and just say, hey, will you? This community, uh, in my experience, you know, I started out in, in 1997 and uh, it, it's it's always been that way. It always has felt to me at least that way that people have been very open. Like, sure, <laughs> let me tell you, let's get it. Let's have coffee. Let's whatever, you know, let, let's talk about it. Yeah, I definitely have felt that too, which is really nice. <laughs> yeah, that is nice. And I, I hear from some other communities, they're not, they're not always like that. So we can be proud about that. <laughs> we'll pat ourselves on the back in the cybersecurity community. So um, talk, let's talk about where you are now and uh, and, and being a CISO. Um, you know, we know, I think let's just we'll pull the elephant on the corner of the room, that cybersecurity industry, especially leadership, there's a lot of men. And so I'm always eager to have guests on the show that aren't middle-aged white men. You know, how did you end up in your role? And, and, and if you do have commentary about it, and if you don't, that's fine, around the issues for women in the workforce, um, you know, and you know, has it been, you know, there's broad-based issues. Has it been in cybersecurity community? Is there an analog to what we were just talking about? It's, it's been great. Upper mobility is there, or, or is there, has there been challenges, uh, you know, along the way? How did you end up in this, in this role that you're in now? Yeah, so this is really a cool and interesting journey. So um, prior to COVID, I was um, about to move my family to Germany for a pre-IPO ENP company. And over the past 10 years, I've kind of pivoted between digital and security. And, you know, you can't do one without the other, <laughs> especially with all the devices getting installed, you know. Um, They're co-joined twins. <laughs> yes. Yep, I think my I wrote this bad blog post, the notorious BIG saying like Mo IoT Mo problems, and I I think that that's how a lot of security folks. But um, so basically did not end up moving my family to Germany during COVID and ended up sticking around here. But Cognite was a vendor at that company, and I totally had a hard eye roll when I found out the company that I was working for had a contract with them because I was like, oh, I've seen this digital show before. Great. We're, you know, it's going to solve every, you know, just like, cause the, the marketing, the marketing on digital was so strong and, you know, so I was incredulous. And then it really reminded me of my early experience in Calpine about the about like how much time back in the day I would spend matching like pie tags, <laughs> you know, and really solving the workers challenges around contextualizing data and making that mapping easy. Um, and so it, it was, it was pretty cool because I could see how, you know, basically you could get to kind of one version of truth from the data side and uh, left that company and they were uh, Cognite was opening up here in the Americas. They asked me to be part of their advisory board, which was super fun. Um, and and then eventually um, I was working for a company that was going through a hostile takeover and, you know, reached out and said, yeah, do you have anything full time? And <laughs> was able to join uh, Cognite's awesome security team. So it was, it was an interesting journey, but it was it's funny to go from just like, uh, why do we have a contract with these folks to being like, oh, I want to work there. <laughs> Have you experienced, I mean, I've had a few um, women who've said, you know what, I've never had any issue. I never really felt that, that it was an issue or resistance or something, some sort of barrier I had to break through. Yeah. I've had a few that said, yeah, you know what, there was some good old boy network in a particular thing I was doing. And I always felt like I was in the room, sort of the, you know, uh, uninvited guest. But that's been rarer that people yeah. have felt that way. It, it, any any challenges along the way or no, just keep doing good work yeah. and I think the bigger, I think it's structural stuff as opposed to, so I think it's structural as opposed to necessarily in the security community. But one thing I've been really passionate about is kind of that motherhood, um, that motherhood penalty. And there's been, there's a lot of stuff coming out of McKinsey and other groups right now talking about how 
actually a lot of the people who are quitting right now are women in senior roles. And so that for companies that really care about diversity, that's very hard. Right. And because there are less women at the top because of that motherhood penalty, that it's very hard to navigate between them. And, you know, ultimately because they can feel as though there is a dynamic that's less safe and secure for them in those senior because then you become the only woman in the room. Yeah. And for a long time, I was the only woman in the room and 10 years younger than everybody else. It, it cognite, I'm an old lady, which is really like, oh my God, how did I become the old lady? But, you know, Snoop Dogg, it was on, you know, Super Bowl and it's going to be on the oldies channel sooner or later. So that's that's where I'm at. But yeah. I think so on the, the motherhood piece, I, I think that, you know, um, it can be really, really hard when you've got small kids to navigate you know, uh, meetings in multinational companies, being away. Italy is a great place to bring a baby and people are very understanding, but it's challenges like that that I think we need to work structurally on as an economy. And so I'm very, and I think companies are getting more sensitive, but I can't tell you how many times it's been like, oh yeah, we're starting this meeting on Sunday and y'all didn't realize it was Mother's Day or like whatever, right? And so What I would encourage people to do, and I'm so inspired by like millennials and like the Gen Z folks is they're like, hey, no, that that's kind of beyond my boundary. That's not working for me. And half the time I'm like, oh, I didn't know you could say that in your outside voice. Um, (laughs) So I would say I I really encourage people. And I think a lot of times people may lack awareness, right, of the impact of certain decisions. Right. And so I think the first step is to have an open and honest discussion about that. I think if you're not working in a company where you feel safe to do that, right, then it's time to think about maybe going to another company because the amount of time as, you know, if you're not part of kind of the the main demographic you can spend, if you don't feel safe, if you don't feel like you can bring your whole self to work, that's going to hit your productivity. That's going to hit ultimately what you can accomplish. So I would say from being all you can be. And and there are companies where you can go to where that's not the case. Um, And I I think that's important for people to feel empowered to find that culture that works for them. Oh, that's another great, that's another great share. Yeah. Don't, don't stay, don't stay stuck in a place where those things aren't present. They do exist in other places. They do. (laughs) That's, that's fantastic. Well, what are you excited about looking at, you know, to the, to the future, Susan? I was at this security meeting and someone said, security folks, you know, you see flowers, you smell flowers and you assume there's a funeral uh, someplace. So, (laughs) you know, it's sort of glass half full, half empty. So one of the things that I'm really interested in right now is containerization of ICS systems from layer two and above and looking at how that's going to impact reference architecture. Um, I think this is going to be a little polemic to say, but, you know, I know there's a lot of hesitancy around cloud and real-time data, but I would also argue things we can do. I mean, just if I put on my OEM hat and all of the all of the service providers that had holes into firewalls to be able to service their rotating machinery or the equipment, um, sometimes, you know, it, and if it's pure read access, just thinking about different ways to provision that, having a lot more granularity around data sets, around, you know, authorization and, authentic- and authentication. Um, and the the other thing that I think about is as we pivot to roles that are probably, especially in more distributed, like distributed energy resources, you know, renewables, um, I'm seeing this a little bit more with like on- onshore oil and gas manufacturing, 
you're going to have more distributed workforces. I believe really strongly that most like industrial companies right now would probably have not built the people and processes they have in place with the tech stack they have available now. And so you're probably going to have more distributed models and there's, there's risk with that, <laughs> but there are benefits with that. So looking at how reference architecture, looking at roles, data flows, all of those things are going to be impacted. I find really, really exciting right now. And I think ultimately, What's good about what I'm hearing about digital, and that's sort of like a word that like I've heard so like, you know, I'm just like, like digital just, transformation. What does so it mean? <laughs> like this has been 10 years. It reminds me of like the dot bomb stuff, but at this point, but <laughs> I get excited thinking about how, you know, basically how those workflows will change, right? And how the paradigms, it's just how people are working. And I love that industrial companies are finally like, not making an investment because it's necessary. I mean, they, they care about return, but before I was like, oh, I won't invest in anything if I don't get a 10X return on whatever pilot. And now they're like, oh, we've kind of screwed up. And we actually have asked our teams at facilities or in operations functions, just to everything with digital is giving them more work, right? And we actually want to focus on them as users and make their lives easier. I'm like, oh, okay, finally there. <laughs> um, because Here's the thing, engineers these days, they know how to code in Python, right? I mean, so, and if you think about low code and internal development, why wouldn't we empower our coworkers to do more? And so those are the things that I get pretty excited about, thinking about the roles, the architecture, empowering the users, but you have a lot of security debt <laughs> if you don't hit them early on. Um, so even thinking about energy companies and how are they training up their teams on DevSecOps, right? and how they don't increase their attack surface by their own, you know, within their own development. You know, even things like, okay, in this pipeline, how do we have persistent identity and whatever, <laughs> right? So there will be some risk about that that we'll have to address. That's a downside, but the upside is, I think those roles and those companies are gonna look really different. Uh, that's an interesting sort of, I was thinking about all the impacts of technology. It's easy to look at features, but you're talking about your technology is gonna change how humans are doing stuff we've been doing for a while we're going to do it differently because of the availability of these things and so that's a rearranging sort of rearranging the deck chairs on everybody's ship um yep. who can do that quickest and fastest is gonna it's gonna be interesting and, and i think it'll be a little bit like kind of the office space we have in debate that we have right now and in, in you know in the private sector is just like okay, you need to come back to the office well, are you are you pushing that because you've got some costs in there or, you know, and ultimately the companies that figure out how to do that well will be the winners. And I think this is the same. Do you stay invested in what you worked on before because it worked or, you know, is that the view of the future? Well, I could talk to you all day. Um, I, I have uh, in, in looking at, at things you've been involved with and things that I suspect you have had to do. I, I really literally could uh, could go another hour with you. But I think uh, I've been told. Podcasts have, are only supposed to be a certain length, and I, I go past that all the time. And we, I think we we have, but um, I'd like to uh, I'd like to end the the uh, the podcast the, sort of the same way I have done. If you're up for it, so I I love um, I always loved. I haven't seen it in a while, but this show called Inside the Actor's Studio, and it was uh, uh, on the air forever. I think it may still be, but the, the longtime host James Lipton has passed. Uh, but he asked for decades the same questions, all the famous actors and actresses. He would end his interviews with the same question he called the Pavot questionnaire. So I looked it up, and it was a French show that he borrowed it from before that. So I think this thing could be 30 to 50 years of the exact same 10 questions. Wow. So if you're if you're up for it, I'll uh, I'll ask you the Pavot questionnaire. <laughs>
Okay. All right. What is your favorite word? Empowered. What is your least favorite word? Probably be, you know, one of those words is just overused all the time that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. <laughs> what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? I think a, a, like a view that you can do better, right? Something that you can see where you can make an impact. Yeah. What turns you off? Meetings where I wonder how much the company, any company is spending in having people attend and the opportunity cost. Mm -hmm. And what is your favorite curse word? It's that bomb probably, yeah. It is, by the way, statistically the most uh, frequent response. Mm -hmm. uh, what sound or noise do you love? I love listening to my husband play the guitar. Mm -hmm. What sound or noise do you hate? Probably mumbling preteens at this point. <laughs> what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I would, I wanted to be the ambassador of Fiji, which you know, probably makes sense given what I've told you now. I thought that would be a good gig. Mm -hmm. And what profession would you not like to do? I think I would really have a hard time doing management consulting and just because um, it, it's just a tough gig. Yeah. And if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? We've got pizza in the back. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's a, you, know, you guys all have unique answers, but that's definitely not one I've heard. Well, I, I really enjoyed this. I've had Susan Peterson Sturm, Chief Information Security Officer of Cognite. She is an empath, a DEI champion, a mentor, a board advisor, a volunteer, and uh, for many, many years been focused on alleviation of poverty in various parts of the world. And uh, so I love how well-rounded you are and how committed you are to giving back and, uh, and to helping uh, people, not just in cybersecurity, but outside that. Um, that's that's the kind of folks uh, that uh, help, help make the world a better place. And I, I can tell from getting to know you better, that's a big big theme in your life. So thank you for all of that and for preparing to be on our show and, uh, and spending the time with, uh, with me and with, with my audience. Thanks, Derek. Thanks for the opportunity and big shout out to this community. Um, I know they'll help grow kind of the next generation of folks and it's really nice community to be a part of. Yeah. All right. Take care and be well, Susan. I will uh, talk to you again soon.